That is the sound you never want to hear. It's the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. Today is Tuesday, February 28, 2012, day 354 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th of 2011. And here is the latest nuclear news. This report compiled by CBS News is about the Japanese government having collapsed during the nuclear crisis last year. Details are just beginning to emerge, and on February 27th, Monday, a report revealed the chaos between Japan's leaders during the crisis. According to Tetsuro Fukuyama, Prime Minister's advisor, quote, the normal lines of authority completely collapsed. As we listened to our top nuclear experts, we politicians had no idea what they were talking about. Was anyone going to suffer radiation contamination? Would this be another Chernobyl or Three Mile Island? No one could give us a straight answer. Fukuyama said that the government thought that a nuclear meltdown was impending and feared that a massive cloud of radiation would force the evacuation of 30 million people in the Tokyo region. Quote, terrified doesn't begin to describe how we felt. When we learned the reactors hadn't felt melted down, I was overwhelmed by our inability. So what makes any of us think that the United States government is any better equipped to deal with a nuclear accident than Japan was? Hopefully we won't ever have a chance to learn that one. Also in Japan, a bit of good news that only two of Japan's nuclear power reactors now remain in operation after Kansai Electric Power Company's Takahama Unit 3 entered a scheduled inspection outage. The closure leaves only two nuclear power plants, TEPCO's Kashiwazaki Karawi Unit 6 and Hokkaido Electric Power Company's Tomari Unit 3, operating in Japan. Prior to Fukushima Daiichi, Japan had relied on 54 nuclear reactors to supply nearly one-third of its electricity. Note that with 52 of these nuclear power plants offline, the country has not experienced rolling blackouts. Since the Fukushima Daiichi accident, all Japan's nuclear reactors have been undergoing two-phase stress tests at the direction of the Japanese government. All plants which have entered scheduled maintenance outages since the March 2011 earthquake and tsunami have had to remain offline awaiting government approval before they can resume operations. Tests have now been completed at a number of plants, and Japan's nuclear safety regulator, the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency, recently endorsed the findings from the first units to complete the tests, Kansai's Ohi 3 and 4, although the plants are still awaiting permission to restart. If the two remaining units that are online go offline without anything restarting, Japan will be a nuclear-free nation, except, of course, for the radiation that's leaking from Fukushima Daiichi. One other point from Japan, uh, there's a report that uh, 20 calves were born at a farm in Sukagawa, about 60 kilometers from the Fukushima plant, and all 20 calves were born stillborn. In other words, they were dead on arrival. Moving on to the United States, uh, not good news for our nuclear power plants. 
The Palisades Nuclear Power Plant in Covert, Michigan, has been cited for three safety violations, according to the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, joining two other U.S. nuclear plants and getting extra scrutiny from inspectors. The worst of the violations stems from a September 25, 2011 incident at the Palisades Power Plant in which half the control room indicators were lost because of an electrical fault, quote, caused by personnel at the site. In other words, operator error. The NRC said two other violations at Palisades were for a, quote, low to moderate safety significance issue. I don't know that safety at a nuclear power plant, uh, if it is compromised, can ever be considered low to moderate. After all, it is a nuclear power plant. Uh, in these instances, one of the service pumps failed last August due to cracking, something that also happened in 2009. So it's a recurring problem that has not been fixed. An inspection included, the plant failed to prevent recurrence of the cracking condition and failed to completely consider the properties of the steel used in a past modification of the couplings. The Palisades plant, owned by Entergy Corporation, joins two other plants singled out for closer inspection, the Perry Nuclear Power Plant Unit 1 near Cleveland, Ohio, and the Susquehanna Nuclear Power Plant Unit 1 in Pennsylvania, about 70 miles northeast of Harrisburg. Moving on to the ill-fated North Anna power plant in Virginia, this is the one that was only um, less than 10 miles away from epicenter of the earthquake last August. Dominion Virginia Power is seeking the source of leaking radioactivity at its North Anna nuclear power plant after an elevated level of tritium was detected in groundwater. Now listen to the double speak that follows. Company spokesman Rick Zerker tells the Richmond Times-Dispatch that the plant's two reactors aren't the source of the leak. I wonder where it might be coming from. Uh, the company told the NRC on Tuesday that tritium in water taken from an on-site sampling well was more than twice the federal standard for drinking water. The company says the contaminated water is not leaking off-site. So it's staying on-site, but they don't know where it's from. But, of course, the two reactors are not the source of the leak, according to Dominion. Now, Dominion Virginia Power also told the commission that there's no evidence the leak is related to last year's 5.8 magnitude earthquake. Note that the key phrase here is, there's no evidence. And why is there no evidence? Because they didn't inspect both nuclear plants. Only one was inspected. It was cursory. And, of course, there's no evidence. They weren't looking for evidence. They didn't want evidence. So we have elevated radiation that, according to Dominion, is not coming from their nuclear power plants, but is also not leaking off-site, and there's no evidence that it's related to the earthquake that happened last year. And pay absolutely no attention to the man behind the curtain. It really came from some combination of the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. Oh, and Santa Claus may have been part of that as well. And here's a little piece of uh, creative economy, shall we say, that in Iowa, a nuclear construction bill now proposed would add $800 annual increase to ratepayers. An average ratepayer who paid $67 a month in 2009 would pay an estimated $135 a month if in Mid-America, which is an investor-owned utility, gets approval for the rate increase. 
Now, this bill would allow MidAmerica to charge ratepayers for a proposed nuclear power plant construction project's upfront costs, even if the reactors are never built. This is something akin to the producers, uh, that wonderful film and then stage musical, in which more money was raised for the creation of a Broadway musical with the goal of never producing the musical because that's the way the money gets made. So MidAmerica would get paid whether or not they build the nuclear power plant. According to Mark Cooper, a senior fellow at Vermont Law School's Institute for Energy and the Environment, Quote, building new nuclear reactors is entirely uneconomical. Nuclear reactors cannot compete with a range of alternatives on price. Construction is so risky, the capital market has said they won't fund them at normal rates. The utilities recognize that, so they are pushing for special treatment. They want suspension of market forces and suspension of consumer protection. This is a danger to consumers. It is a danger to politicians to which I would add it is also a danger to the future of life on Earth. Now, according to the United States Geological Survey, the Fukushima fallout in the United States was worse than what we received after Chernobyl. This is based on measurements taken at the USGS's Bennington National Atmospheric Deposition Program, uh, which is located uh, near Denver. Uh, according to this report, Cesium-134 and cesium-137 were found in rainwater collected at the sampling station. The levels were far below those discovered at sampling stations on the West Coast and in the Rocky Mountains. Now, this was radiation from the plume that, according to our government, never happened. And this quote from the report, In the United States, cesium-134 and cesium-137 wet dispersion values, meaning in rain, were higher than for Chernobyl fallout, in part due to the U.S. being further downwind. With Chernobyl, there was more opportunity for plume dispersion. In other words, it had to go halfway around the world to get to us, and in the process, it dispersed. Whereas from Fukushima, we got a much more concentrated dose because of the movement of the jet stream overhead. So moving on to India, um, some more insanity on the part of pro-nukers. Uh, this is from a, a pro-nuclear site that I get some information from. The Indian Prime Minister, Manmohan Singh, said that groups protesting the startup of two new reactors at Kudankulam are based in foreign countries. His words came during an interview with Science Magazine. Singh criticized some sources of opposition to biotechnology, saying there are NGOs, non-government organizations, often funded from the United States and the Scandinavian countries. In Kudankulam, the atomic energy program has got into difficulties because of these NGOs, mostly, I think, based in the United States. So in other words, he's basing um, the protests that are happening against nuclear power plants in his country on us and our agitation from halfway around the world. Now, the two pressurized water reactors were completed shortly before the Fukushima accident last March. Several months later, during the commissioning phase of the plant, a powerful local protest movement, local people, suddenly grew up around S.P. Udaya Kumar and his people's movement against nuclear energy. In other words, a local activist and a local activist group. But still, the Indian government is saying that it's foreign anti-nuclear groups 
that are creating this problem. And we've also previously been accused of stirring up unrest at the proposed site of a new nuclear power plant at Jaitapur, with this even resulting in the death of a protester in clashes with police. So we here in America, if we give a donation uh, out of our meager money left over from the, uh, the recession, if we give a minor donation to a group in India to try and support them in their actions, we are, of course, responsible for everyone turning against nuclear energy in India. Is that numbnuts or what? Now we've got a contrast to uh, some disinformation that was put out about uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, there was a major news story that was picked up by all the wire services that Germany was restarting nuclear reactors because of the cold snap in Europe and was uh, importing electricity from nuclear-powered France, when indeed it is absolutely the opposite. Germany is not restarting its nuclear reactors. It had no intention of restarting its nuclear reactors. And actually, during that time, was massively exporting electricity to help nuclear-powered France get through the winter. It's now known that the report that went out was a complete fabrication, a.k.a. liar, liar, pants on fire. It was sensational, erroneous, and a piece of news spread in the media on account of this winter's unprecedented cold snap, Germany had ostensibly relaunched several of its nuclear reactors when it actually came to the rescue of France. Uh, it exported the electricity to its neighbor, silencing critics who slammed Berlin last year for abruptly shutting down eight nuclear reactors after Fukushima. So here's Germany with its alternatives, uh, saving nuclear-powered France, which, by the way, has an anti-nuclear movement, too. We're just not hearing very much about it. I'll try and get some information. Now, a bit of good information. Uh, the Czech Republic, during the second week of February, joined Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, and Italy in declaring that they will shut down their nuclear plants and generate safe, green, renewable energy. Uh, in the third week of February, Kuwait announced that it is going nuclear-free. These may not be the major nuclear powers in the world, but every little bit that moves in that direction is a step in the right direction and hopefully will start to create the kind of, of um, energy flow that we need towards genuinely clean, green, sustainable energy. Now, there's no interview this week. Uh, I'm still getting over the flu in, and I'm only barely in the full upright position. So uh, hopefully we will be back in format next week. And the week after that, I will have reports on the various um, March 11th uh, Fukushima anniversary events that I will be attending. Meanwhile, here's a holistic health tip on how to purify your water. I picked this up from a really nice site that I found on Facebook, Rad Chick radiation research and mitigation. Just search for Radchick, R-A-D-C-H-I-C-K. She's got a lot going on there. Now, we're all concerned about radiation in our food supply, and that, of course, includes the water, especially since rainouts can carry radiation from the upper atmosphere jet stream into our water supply. We have to be very careful about our water. Now, boiling will not purify water from radiation, and um, I've not received definitive word as to whether distillation is successful or not. However, there's a very inexpensive, easy fix for this. 
You know at the grocery stores, those water machines where you throw in some coins and you can fill up a gallon container? That is actually one of the best ways to get pure water that is free of radiation. And here's why. These systems use a combination of activated charcoal, a series of micron filters, and reverse osmosis to purify the water. This combination clears the radiation out of water, and it's got the best shot of getting all radiation out of the water. And it's also expensive, well under a dollar a gallon if you use their containers, and under 50 cents a gallon if you bring your own container. Uh, again, we're grateful to Rad Chick, and she's got so many good holistic uh, ideas that I would love to interview her, and I am pursuing that. Short program today, and it's a pre-record because um, there's no telling how long my voice is going to last. So here's a final thought. With the first anniversary of Fukushima coming up on March 11, there's going to be a lot of media attention. But the media has a short attention span, and they will probably frame the disaster as something in the past tense, like the worst is over. By March 12th, the media will be done with the story, and if history is any indication of the future, it won't revisit Fukushima as a nuclear story in any appreciable way until the fifth anniversary in 2016. They tend to like first anniversaries, fifth, tenth, and after that, you've got to get to 20 or 25 before attention is paid. However, for anti-nuclear activists, we have a secondary target date in March, the 28th. Quick, what happened on March 28th? This year, it's the 33rd anniversary of Three Mile Island. Any activities that you may have wanted to get together for March 11 and were unable to bring off, shoot for this second date. As someone who was one mile from Three Mile Island when it happened, it astounds me at how forgotten this anniversary has become. We seem to remember Chernobyl, especially since it hit 25 years this past year. We will continue to remember and mourn Fukushima. But let us not forget that there was a major nuclear accident on American soil that deeply impacted lives, health, and at the time, Stop the nuclear juggernaut dead in its tracks. So maybe we should just take a look at March and declare it no nukes, never again month or some such. And book events whenever and wherever you can. Libraries are a great place to start. Schools are often interested. Talk to your local scouting troop. Um, let's get the information out there and not stop. We still have the potential to turn this around. They haven't gained the traction back for the pro-nuke side. They keep trying. They've got millions of dollars. We've got millions of us. Let's go get them. In closing, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, February 28, 2012. You can now follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash nuclearhotseat. We are also at the website nuclearhotseat.com. We are on Facebook both as a group page and what is being switched over to is a page page on Facebook. And, of course, our podcasts are available for free on iTunes. This is Libby Halevi of Hardistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep. Be safe, be well, and I will speak with you again next week. Mm-hmm.